We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Filato. Today, the crux of this show will be our definitive case for the pros and cons against and for re-signing Saquon Barkley this offseason. If you're the New York football giants, if you're Joe Shane, we're going to go over the full case, every pro, every con. We'll wrap up the show by giving our final thought on what we would do if we were in Joe Shane's shoes. We don't want to have this be an open-ended discussion where at the end we're like, eh, it's wishy-washy. You don't know where Nick or Dan stands on this. We'll, we'll, we'll decide where we stand on this, and we'll live with that. And our stance on where we want them to go doesn't mean they have to go that direction. It doesn't mean if they don't go in that direction, we're going to throw a hissy fit and freak out. <laughs> These guys know more than us. They're the ones who are paid to do this, A. B, any decision made on Barkley or Jones or whatever isn't going to kill the Giants one way or another um, in the long term, in my opinion, at least, especially on like the Barkley front, because I do think regardless of what happens, if they do resign him, he will have trade val- some trade value at all points of that contract. So if worse comes to worse, the Giants are not progressing how they want to, they can move him for some picks. But before we do any of that, we are going to also touch on what, the, what happened today and, and yesterday with the news of one. The Colts making the decision to hire Steichen as their new head coach, which means Wink Martindale will return as the Giants defensive coordinator. And then two, the Cardinals making the decision to to hire Gannon as their new head coach, which means Mike Kafka is out of the mix and he will return as the Giants offensive coordinator. But before we do any of that, I got an email, Nick, that I wanted to address. And for those of you who might be listening and saying, well, you guys haven't done a bod, uh, mailbag in a little while. One, you're right. And we're going to do that soon. But two, you might also be thinking, I've sent some questions in. How come I'm not getting my question read here? Well, to be quite frank with you and blunt, my uncle is the one who sent this email in. And my uncle is an avid listener of the Big Blue Banter podcast. He doesn't miss an episode. And you know what? Family comes first. And so he is going to get some special treatment here. And we're going to read his email and address it. I did want to get your take on it, Nick, because I thought it was very interesting. So straight from Uncle Steve. He says, as an old offensive lineman, and my uncle did used to play the center position. So he's a, him and I are big time center guys. We believe, you know, the center should be, the Giants should address this position sooner or later. But he says, as an old offensive lineman, I was really impressed with how Kansas City used pre and post and immediately post that motion to clear out the second level of the defense behind the offensive line on run plays. But it was also very unusual to see that kind of strat, uh, play strategy in the run game. He says, I can't give you the exact plays. Not all of us have 
the things on tape, but I would be interesting to have you guys take a look at or discuss this as that usually is that usually that conversation is restricted to just the passing game. One of the reasons I am impressed by Andy Reid was his ability to use that motion in the run game. Um, so what were your thoughts on that? Because I know you also posted a tweet about this is why this came to mind, Nick, of the play they ran from your high school where they're using motion pre-snap. And, and the Giants have done this as well at times with with Breed and Barkley to actually create stuff in the run game, both pre and post-snap motion. I was going to say, that's not just something the Kansas City Chiefs have done. The New York Giants did it this year. I mean, a lot of teams have used types of jet motion. I mean, I think of the Rams have done it recently to clear out linebackers and to force them to commit or force them to push. And then you hand the football off in the A gap or the B gap to set up better running lanes for the running back and also better lanes for the offensive lineman to climb to get a better angle at that linebacker who didn't even say bail outside, but just cheated to the outside. And now right. he removed himself from his responsibility just a little bit to allow that center to have a clean angle. Yeah, the Chiefs do an excellent job at that, but that's not just something that the Chiefs do. A lot of teams around the NFL utilize that type of strategy because it's a smart way to run the football. Yeah, and it's also something you mentioned when you broke down the play on the first podcast was, well, you also have to rely on these receivers to make big blocks in these situations. And I like how these teams like the chiefs and the giants have done this as well, have gotten creative with using the receivers to come around in motion and then operate as a blocker. In some ways we saw, like, I remember there was a red zone play with the giants while I'm turning off my phone. Sorry about that for anyone listening and heard that noise, but there's a red zone play with the giants where they actually used the motion and had like bright. Well, I believe, or one of the backs, Brita, maybe coming around as a lead blocker for Barkley. Uh, and then he was running the touch around. So I think it's cool also. And the giants have done this using those, Insan- uh, ancillary players as like lead blockers or in the blocking scheme on those motion plays. It's maximizing all the personnel out there. You want to get mm-hmm. all 11 guys out there and you want to use them. You don't just want them out there. Oh, I'm a wide receiver. I catch the football. No, you have to block. Isaiah Hodgins was a good blocker. Darius Slayton is an above average blocker. Sterling Shepard this season. How many times do we see wide receiver right. insert, which is like a Y insert into the B gap to pick up like a Sam linebacker? Or something like that. And then all he has to do is just get in his way enough to allow Saquon Barkley to hit the hole and accelerate up to the third level. So all of those little things, they kind of are connected, right? And I feel like the Giants, Mike Kafka, maybe it is, maybe it's Brian Dable. They have used motion, I would say, well, and I expect to continue to see that now that Mike Kafka is coming back to open up rushing lanes. And also, it looks similar to when they do pass the football. You don't want to be predictable, right? If you're only running motion to pass the football, you're going to become predictable and teams are going to pick up on those tendencies. Yep, completely agree with that. So let's talk a little bit about the Giants now retaining both of their coordinators for this coming season. Excuse me, I tweeted out how it was kind of like a double win for the Giants because the Eagles lost their two coordinators and the Giants retained their two. I'm very excited about this. I mean, look, Nick, for me, just thinking about back at the 2022 season where the Giants won nine games, won a playoff game, were expected to win four or five. If you had to ask me what the biggest factor in their rise was to me it's coaching and it's a big drop off between the next factor I love the progression Daniel Jones had but if I'm being honest I think a lot of that had to do with the coaching I love the progression the Giants had as a red zone offense but if I'm being honest I think a lot of that had to do with the coaching and I love the some of the uh, progression the Giants made on the defensive side of the ball as far as holding teams to field goals in the red zone third down defense was great but again a lot of that I think has to do with the coaching so to me to get these two guys back in addition to obviously having the continuity for Daniel Jones having a coordinator and obviously on the other side of the ball 
Wink Martindale fitting right back in. Same defensive system. Players you drafted to fit that system now get to play in that system. Communication is good. All of those factors are really important for retaining any coordinator. But these two specifically, Nick, I think give the Giants an edge on a weekly basis. In Wink's case, I know people point to the DVOA being really bad this year, which it was for the Giants defense, and to the schedule being really easy. The Giants played no good quarterbacks basically all year, with the exception of Hurts um, and Lawrence and a few others, but not really many. But my counter to that, and I'm curious to get your take on that, Nick, is, yeah, of course the DVOA is bad. The dude was playing with CFL-level linebackers, and, yeah, we all love Nick McLeod and Fabian Moreau because on tape they look okay, but Wink makes them look okay. Like These aren't players that were signed by other teams, or these aren't players that were made in the play, were made a, part of big, a big part of the plan for other teams. These are guys that they're just cycling in at corner week to week to week including safety where they had to move in Jason Pinnock or Belton. They didn't really have many options there. So you're talking about like the third and second level of your defense, having not much talent all year. Of course, the defense wasn't going to finish strong in DVOA. That's my take on wink. I think if he comes back and gets better personnel, he can be a much more effective coach in those metrics. And not even just wink Martindale. If you look at all of these other coaches, look at what Andre Patterson has done for Dexter Lawrence. Right. And Jerome Henderson, you could go back to his time with Joe Judge's coaching staff, what yep. he did for all of those defensive backs who seem to have career years. James Bradbury, Dory Jackson this season, even back in 2021. Jabril Peppers had a really good year, his first year in New York as well. I love those positional coaches. Now they can stay in their role, right? Jerome Henderson doesn't have to be considered to be a defensive coordinator. And I also feel like you already basically said all the good points, right? Like Wink Martindale getting another draft, bringing his players to fit his system, upgrading the personnel two drafts. Now with this coaching staff, with this general manager, that should only bode well for Wink Martindale. And I think you brought up a good point about how much we like Fabian Moreau, how much we like Nick McLeod, but those guys shouldn't be relied on to start and play 70 snaps a game, right? You get a true number two cornerback to play with a Dory Jackson who can hopefully be healthy with the safeties in place. And that secondary is going to be foundationally better. Also the linebackers. That's the huge point right there. When you can't fit the run correctly, it's going to rely that safety to fly down into the box at Julian Love type so much more to protect the run, which opens up play action, passing attack. So there were just so many holes on this defense this year. So the DVOA might've sucked, Dan, give it another year more personnel, and I think Wink Martindale will really find a way to maximize these guys. Plus, those edge rushers were young. Aziz Ojolari was right. not healthy the entire year. Let these blitz packages marinate a little bit with these personnel, and I think we're going to be happy at the end of the day. I completely agree. And just to touch a little bit on, on another thing you mentioned there, I thought you made a great point about how the positional coaches can now stay in their roles because everyone's kind of assumed, Like, and I saw a lot of discussion points on this, when the, when the talking uh, point was, you know, if the Giants lose Wink Barndale, if the Giants lose Mike Kafka, well, everyone's like, well, you got this guy who can step into this role. And Jerome Henderson, we don't know for sure these guys can call plays, right? This is a tough thing to do live. You have to just call plays. You have to have a play sheet and figure out the best play for each situation. And that in real time, you have 30 seconds to do it. Like, you just don't know. You didn't know with Kafka, they took a blind leap of faith and they were right on that one. But you don't know if Shay Tierney can just all of a sudden be a great play caller, right? These guys sometimes are awful play callers that were great in other ways. Brian left or Byron Leftwich, for example, was so good that they thought he might be a head coach. Then he had a chance to call plays and he was terrible at it and he ran a terrible offense. This happens all the time where these guys are great positional coaches or bright minds or whatever it may be. But in the moment when the bullets are flying, they can't call the plays well. 
and they do a poor job of calling the plays. We already know in the moment when the bullets are flying, these two guys do a really good job of calling plays. The Giants defense had no talent, and yet they were really good in the red zone, really good on third downs. The offense, my God, Mike Kafka turned this red zone offense into one of the best in the NFL. It was dead in the water as the worst in the NFL, and they barely upgraded personnel. Mike Kafka schemed up free touchdown squares at early points in the season. The Bellinger play against Carolina, the Myrick touchdown, the two touchdowns against the bears on the roll. It's like free touchdown squares that we never got. We never had those. And there were like really good timely play calls by Kafka too, that I remember like the, the bootlegs with Jones and like in some of these games down the stretch, like of runs of games when he would run two plays in a row and catch them by, by off guard. Like when they had like the full house backfield and they ran, they gave it up the a gap to Brightwell, just like things that get, got the giants free yards in key spots, situational play calls. I think he did a great job of Mike Kafka. So I think when you think of these coaches, a lot of the reason giants had so much success to me last year was the coaching. And now they have that coaching back. If they had just lost that coaching, we could have blindly, you know, took in that blind leap of faith and said, Oh, well, Shay Tierney will do a good job. Old oh, Henderson's ready, but you don't know that. And it could have been really bad. So this to me was as big, of a re-signing on both ends, a bigger retain as you can get besides Daniel Jones for me this offseason. And we've said it so much throughout the season, the importance of the coaching staff, the continuity, all of those cliches, but they go beyond cliches right. because we've seen a true turnaround under Brian Dable. We've seen Brian Dable delegate to offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, who first time play calling did an excellent job. Wink Martindale finally leaves Baltimore, did a good job. But you have to consider all of those circumstances that we talked about over the last five minutes. So I'm just very pleased at the fact that both of these guys are back in house. And the last final thing when it comes to um, the wink situation there at defensive coordinator, Nick, I just think from a fun standpoint, right? As fans, as analysts, and not just from a fun standpoint, from just the ability of one fun two fun and watching two having fun watching football, I should say, and two being kind of different. Um, different yeah contrarian is what i was thinking but different and both are the same that gives you an edge when you're contrarian it's just like in poker or all these other games that i play it's like if you take a different approach than every single other person fantasy football is a good example of that when kind of zero rb came out with sean siegel shout out sean siegel old friend of mine the the creator of zero rb when he first dropped that in the high stakes fantasy league and he won that first year no one else was doing that everyone was pounding running backs for three straight rounds and he didn't take a single one when you go contrarian you have a chance to be better because offensive coordinators are not focusing on what Wink Barndale as he does every week, right? When as more of these defenses go with the Fangio approach of like the too high look, having split safeties, playing a lot of zone, like, and then they face a defense like Wink, who's playing a lot of man with a with a single high safety. It's harder to figure out a game plan because you were so used to game planning around different different style of defense. So for one, that's good. And two, it's fun when you dictate on the defense side of the ball. I have a lot more fun watching this Giants defense when they're attacking versus the old school Perry Fuel and the Patrick Graham style of dropping back. And I think you guys do too. So we get that too, right? We're also getting that back too. The fun of it and the contrarian different uh you know difference of it. It just blitz. I mean yeah. it's no wonder that Wink Martindale has led the league in blitzing several different times, and he led the league by a pretty wide margin. It was it was almost 50%. It was just under 50%. You're talking about over 40% blitz rate from the New York Giants, man. That is dictating right there. Now, can you imagine if they have the personnel on the back end who can actually hold up a man coverage for longer than two and a half seconds?
Right. One, if he get if you get him the personnel at corner, so he feels more comfortable blitzing more. Two, if you get him like he doesn't need much. He just wants a little bit to be able to stop that run. You know he's not gonna allocate much resources on a per play basis to stopping the run anyway, but just give him what he needs there to stop the run, and then he can feel more comfortable doing other things as well. So I just think the ceiling with Wink as your DC is really high. We've already seen it in Baltimore, the year where they had those three corners healthy. Wink ran one of the best, most dominant defenses in the NFL that year. So we just need to get him talent, and he'll be a really good coordinator for the Giants, I believe. And also, the players obviously love playing for him. Yeah, and think about those times in Baltimore, too. All of those defenses were stout against the run. Yeah. He doesn't neglect the run. It's just the Giants did not have the personnel in place right. this year. And that's not just that linebacker. That's also on the defensive line. Yeah, you had Leonard Williams. He was hurt. Dexter Lawrence, absolute stud. Outside of those two, though, Dan, you didn't have anybody to cycle in there who was competent enough to play 10 snaps a game, like the Justin Ellis's of the world. Like Those guys shouldn't be out there playing NFL snaps. Now, if you replace that with a rookie, Somebody who might be a little bit raw, but he can anchor down and he can shed and he has powerful right. hands and he might add a little bit more from the pass rushing standpoint. Then we're talking about a a just totally different front relative to what we saw in 2022. Yeah, that's another great point. So there's just so much to like about these two guys coming back, I think, for the Giants. I'm really excited about having them both back in the mix. We'll see what happens. Obviously, down the line, you can start to worry about that, but don't don't worry about that now. It's a little too early. Um. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. But yeah, let's move forward now and discuss Saquon Barkley. The main topic today, the Giants' decision that's looming right now. They're in contract negotiations with Saquon Barkley. Do you resign Saquon Barkley? Do you let him hit the market? Do you franchise tag him? Do you franchise tag and trade him? Those are probably the four options on the table right now for the New York football Giants. So we're going to discuss them all today. Let's start by talking a little bit of value, contract value. According to Spot Track, his market value is four years, 50 million or 49.26 million. 
with a 12.35 million average salary. We've heard the Giants are right around that range in contract negotiations. They want to pay him about 12.5 million AAV average annual salary. Saquon wants closer to 16. I think if these sides do get a deal done, it will be closer to the 14 million range, somewhere in the middle, 13 and a half, 14 million. Guarantees will play a big factor in that. So from starters, Nick, where do you feel? And and Saquon Barkley just turned, what, 26 on February 9th? I think he, it, it says, yeah, I think he turned 26 uh, a few days ago. Ha- shout out, happy birthday, Saquon Barkley. So 26-year-old yep. running back hitting the market. Where are you at first? firstly, I guess, on the contract value, where we've heard the Giants are reportedly at, and then where he wants to be at? Where do you think makes, uh, I don't want to say makes sense, but where do you think they'll kind of, if they do sign him, where do you think that will end up, I should say? It seems like Saquon Barkley wants a little bit more than that 12 and a half. And I can understand why. Look, he's coming off of a career year. He said he doesn't want to reset the market. He wants to be realistic was the word that he used. But when you look at Ezekiel Elliott in your division, who's making 15, probably wants something closer to that number. That 12, 12 and a half number is something that I'm willing to entertain. 15 starts getting a little tricky around that point for me. I mean, we'll go through the pros and the cons. 12, 12 and a half puts him around the Joe Mixon territory, the Dalvin Cook territory. Alvin Kamara makes 15 as well. Christian McCaffrey is at the top of the market at just north of 16 million per year. So I kind of like Spotrack's number of 12 and a half right there, right? He's just coming off of a contract where he was getting paid 7.7 mil annual. So that's not quite doubling it, but it's a substantial number more than what he was making before. So I understand where he's coming from, but man, allocating a huge contract to a running back with a long injury history who just turned 26 years old, it can be a dangerous game. And we'll kind of get into that throughout this podcast. Yeah. And I think worth mentioning when you talk about the comparable contracts, Joe Mixon is the most comparable of all the deals. I think Nick Chubbs was pretty comparable as well. When you look at all of those players, they were all younger when they signed that contract with their team. So Mixon was 24 when he signed it. Kamara 25, Cook 25, and Christian McCaffrey was 23 when he signed that deal. Obviously, it's not, you know, you can look at, you can hear that stat and be like, oh, you're just talking about one or two or three years younger. But in running back years, it's almost like dog years. Like, you know what I mean? Like these years, every year matters. We have the data now and the stats. We'll get into this when we talk about the cons. We have the stats that show average, I think it's 26.8 now where these guys just fall off cliffs at the position. And there's just very few guys at 27, 28, 29 these days since the 2010s. Now I've also seen data that shows like back in the 2000s, these guys were playing for forever. And there were a lot of, a lot of cases of guys doing well, but nowadays from about 2010 on, when you get to that 27 year old mark, you're really hitting a cliff. And now you're relying on these guys being out. If you're resigning them, you're relying on them being outliers in that standpoint, from that standpoint. So I just thought it was worth mentioning that all of those players, were, were younger when they signed the contract. Barkley's obviously 26. But without further ado, let's break down all of the pros first, and then we can get into some of the cons here. So I want to with the first pro for me and get your thoughts on that. The first pro for me is Barkley was the best player on the Giants offense this year, for the most part, I would say. Now, there's probably a debate between Barkley and Jones as far as who was the best player. Uh, sorry. Andrew Thomas was the best player on the Giants offense. Yeah. That was a mistake by there. The second best player in the Giants offense was Saquon Barkley. And what I meant by best anyway in the first place was from just a stats and production standpoint, I should say the most productive player on the Giants offense because a quarterback is obviously expected to have some kind of production. He touches the ball a lot more than the running back. But 
for the first, I don't know, three quarters of the season, this offense ran through Saquon Barkley. It was Saquon Barkley, design bootlegs for Daniel Jones, get the ball out fast and easy and quick around the line of scrimmage and, and or, or run with it when you drop back if you're Daniel and you're the quarterback. So this offense did revolve around this player. And in addition to that, Nick, I thought his film was the best of his career this year. I thought he had a career year from a game film standpoint in multiple ways. For starters, I thought he processed his blocks and ran behind his blocks better than I've ever seen him in his career. And I think that has a lot to do with the offense they ran and the scheme and good coaching. But that coaching is coming back. So you can count on that being the case. And you could argue that with another year in that system, with that blocking scheme, with that coaching, he can process these blocks even better than he did this year. But he took a massive jump, I thought, with his mental processing. I also thought he took a massive jump when it came to getting vertical, getting downhill, taking the yards that are there, not dancing around, not trying to create too much outside, not trying to get lateral as often as he used to. And I think that was a coaching emphasis for sure, but he took to it well. So now you have a guy who's processing the blocks better when he needs to be patient behind the line of scrimmage, but also when he doesn't need to be patient, there aren't uh, blocks to be processed. He's getting vertical and he's doing it fast and he's getting downhill and he's pretty much creating more yards than ever out of contact. So, or before contact. So, I think on tape, and this doesn't even speak to, I think he was a much better pass protector this year as well. I would say he took a major jump there too. So now you have a guy who took a jump as a mental processor who got vertical faster. I wouldn't say that's taking a jump. I think it's just a coaching point, but it's a good sign. And who's a much better pass protector than he's ever been in his career. So I think the first pro for re-signing Barkley is he was most of their offense for most of the season. And he was better on tape this year than he's ever been in his career to me. Big things that you mentioned was the processing, right? There's so much that goes into that. It's a very broad term, processing. What exactly does that mean, right? It's the vision to set up the blocks, understanding how to tempo yourself when you're running to allow those blocks to develop. I felt like his ability to diagnose holes on the backside of runs as well. It's like he had eyes in the peripheral parts of his head, right? And that's not something that we have always seen because he has that one cut ability, that short area quickness. But we've also seen or saw plenty of plays, power gap plays, where he was kicking out, right? It was just power lead type plays where the play side guard in the center, depending on the defensive front and how the Giants blocked it up. There were two big guys blocking up front with the wide receivers blocking down, kind of like we were talking about earlier with that Sky Moore play. He was very good, in my opinion, allowing John Feliciano, who was not the most fleet of foot, to get out in front of him and he would tempo himself to allow Feliciano to get to his block or to allow Mark Lewinsky, who was climbing from the second level to land his block. Remember that play against Tennessee? It didn't go for a touchdown, but it was a long play against the Tennessee Titans where Daniel Bellinger did an excellent job. I think we brought it up actually last podcast where Daniel Bellinger did an excellent job getting the safety and then Lewinsky came and got the other safety and it was right at the time when Saquon Barkley was just accelerating and bursting through the holes. I felt like his mastering of using tempo and knowing when to explode and when to accelerate and when to cut was another part of his game that he has taken to another level. Because that does involve mental. Yeah, it's a lot of athletic traits right there, but that's a lot of processing right there. Recognizing those backside cutback lanes, knowing when to hit them, kind of just feeling and anticipating the flow of those linebackers or those safeties who are scraping over the top and then making them pay when they over pursue. So all of those traits, Saquon Barkley, he had those in 2018. Now I feel like he has him in spades though, and he's definitely developed them. And we saw him on a more consistent basis, specifically maybe a little bit earlier on in the season, but still was definitely a point of his game that I took note of throughout the year. We talked about him on those all 22 podcasts. And I was like, man, 
from a mental standpoint, he's really kind of taken his game to another level. I completely agree. And that's a great sign if they are going to resign him because that could tell you, tell us that even if as he ages through this contract, or even just as soon as this year, the athleticism is down. It's not what it was. It's not the same. He can still be a really effective back because he's taken the processing to another level. And I agree that a lot of it was earlier in the season where we saw the best examples of this, but maybe the best example overall, at least came, or for me, one of the best examples overall came at the very end of the season in that playoff game against the Vikings, when they ran that with his touchdown run to start the game as that, you know, we broke down at the time, he did a really good job in space there of pressing vertically for just a split second to get that defensive. I forgot who it was, I guess a linebacker in pursuit to, to kind of settle down before then exploding back outside. That's an excellent example of the exact play that I'm referring to, that right. Tennessee play, right? That Minnesota play was the same way because John Feliciano kicked out into space and he pressed vertical, right? I don't know if it was inside the numbers, but it was near the numbers, right? Yeah. And he kind of cuts down towards the numbers and he gets that safety. I think it was Cam Bynum, if I'm not mistaken, to go downward. And then all he did was cut outside. And now he had two blockers in between him and Bynum just removed from the play. Yeah, and that was late in the year. So that's a good sign on that standpoint. I want to touch on the two other things and get your take on that the first one would be just I, I i don't know if you saw this but i thought he did a much i don't want to say a better job but made a more concerted effort to get vertical on some of these runs and not try to bounce outside to me that could be a coaching point but at the same time it's also a good sign moving forward because his athleticism is just it no matter how we look at this thing no matter how big of a fan you are of saquon barkley as a human being and a person there's no way you can sit here and tell me his athleticism and his breakaway ability and his lateral agility are going to be the same next year and the year after that as they were when he was a rookie coming out of Penn State. That's just idiotic to say. It takes into account nothing, no logic whatsoever. And I don't think anyone would make that argument because it's illogical. So as you lose that athleticism and lateral agility, it's probably a better thing for you if you're getting vertical on these runs and you're using and you're running behind your, your you know, your awesome quads as everybody loves the quad father right and how to pronounce that i didn't know how to say that in any non-weird way but like quad your strength father. your ability because he's a strong running back too you know he's a 240 pound back that can run with power when he needs to so i think that's a good sign as well what are your thoughts on that did you notice that as well that he was getting more vertical on some of the runs where in the past i kind of see him little dead to rights in the backfield and try to bounce outside yeah i think a lot of that has to do with the mental processing too just understanding that he can get vertical and get skinny through some holes that are pretty tight, holes that are pretty narrow. There was the Dallas touchdown run that I remember where oh, Lewinsky kind of got so blown nice. off. He got blown off the line of scrimmage. He cuts back inside, presses the line of scrimmage, goes all the way into the line of scrimmage, and then he has two defenders who are right in front of his face, and he just jukes outside of them and then just accelerates for a touchdown. Now, he didn't run behind his pads there, but he acted as if he was because he can easily do that. And I think we've seen, we saw, I'm trying to remember the game now, if it was Tennessee or what game it was early in the season where we discussed it on the podcast and we were like, man, he, he is not afraid to get vertical because that was a big talking point throughout the uh, off season was, you know, he doesn't really run behind his pads. He does a little bit too much dancing. I think was the term he took exception to that. If we remember he went on a podcast and was like, you know, I'm going to ball out this year. He cussed a couple of times. We're like, Oh, okay. Saquon Barkley. And then he did all of those things, but there were several plays throughout this season where he lowered his pads and he ran through people. And I really appreciate that because this guy's almost 240 pounds. He should be doing that. Right. Yes. And I think last year we didn't see it and maybe we didn't see it enough in 2018, but he out athleted everybody at Penn state. 
He came into the NFL. They criticized him a little bit more than maybe I would have in terms of maybe he should run behind his pads more because there were instances when he did. I remember like the Detroit game where he ran over two guys. And I think this was back in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So 2019, yes, I know the exact you saw player. that. Yep. Yeah. But in 2020, he suffers the injury. 2021, you didn't really see it. But 2022, this season, you started seeing that again. But I do feel like the the dancing thing, we, we can put that to bed at this point because you're right. He's running with a lot more conviction than we have ever seen before. And again, I, I want to reiterate that that is a very important thing if they decide to resign him because that athleticism is not going to be the same as it always was. But having better processing and being a smarter run back, look at Frank Gore. You know, he's probably the best example of that, in my opinion. And I, and they're not, to me, similar running backs at all from a style standpoint. But Frank Gore won with athleticism at Miami, and then he won with athleticism early in his career with, with the 49ers. And then as he aged, he became a different kind of running back and somebody who won with processing. And so you have to be that style, I think, to kind of stay in the NFL for a long time. If you're a type of back that relies on your athleticism, you're just never going to make it long-term in the NFL. No, Once you'll have a role, and then it will just be like a first rookie contract type of right. situation and then you're done yeah because you can only rely on it for so long um, especially if you get injuries and we know he's had those okay let's talk about one final thing before moving on to the next pro would be how much do you should i or do you or should we value his jump the jump that he made as a pass protector moving forward is that just something you can look at nick and be like be like i don't want to weigh that too heavily into the decision to resign him or not or is it something to look at like every great back needs to be able to do this now that he's become and, and first of all, where do you even view that right now versus the rest of the league relatively? Do you think he's good at it? Average, bad. So kind of address that. I think he's great at it this season. I think he was right. I mean, he's had issues with that his entire career this year. We posted a bunch of clips onto our Twitter of Saquon Barkley diagnosing, identifying the blitz and then getting over and executing the block. He didn't have too many whiffs this season. Like no running back is going to bat a thousand in that type of situation. It's a difficult spot to be put oh, yeah. in. But I don't think defensive coordinators are going to be looking at the Giants in third down situations and be like, hey, Saquon Barkley is a liability now if he's out there. So let's scheme to specifically screw him up. Right. I mean, a lot of defensive coordinators do that anyways to the running back. But I don't think he's the liability that we once thought he was as a pass protector. Now, in terms of valuing that in the contract, it's a positive. Right. But Saquon Barkley. He had he offers a lot more than just you know pass protection. That's not why you're resigning Saquon Barkley, sure. obviously. But he definitely took it to another level this year. He took a lot of his game to another level this year, and that has to be weighed in to the fact that the Giants are discussing this contract extension, right? Because look how many times we've said, "Hey, he took this to another level." It's like the third or fourth time we're saying it, and I feel like it's all accurate. How much of that was the fact that he got injured in 2020, which stifled 2021? How much sure. of that was the fact that he had an offensive coordinator who was stuck in 2010, you know, that probably right. factored into it as well. But there were a lot of things that kind of held him back. But now we're getting to see, or at least we got to see in 2022, what he does have to offer. And it was, it was pretty damn decent for a lot of the season. Yeah. I mean, look, I thought I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I might even said it on this podcast already, but this to me was his best season on film by far. I get it. 2018, he was the rookie of the year. I thought that year he relied a lot on his athleticism. This year he relied more on his processing. Um, next thing I want to talk about as far as pros go would be his impact on Daniel Jones's development, his impact on the offense in that regard. And in relation to that, grouping in another pro or whatever you would call it would be kind of that he's one of the, not only the best playmaker they have from a skill position standpoint, maybe one of their only electric skill players they currently have on the roster. 
So how much do you want to talk? How much does that factor in your decision to potentially resign him? Because look, everyone could be like, oh, that doesn't matter. You let him walk. You keep the cap space and you find another playmaker. Well, where are you going to find it, right? Look at this wide receiver free agent market. It's as disgusting as it could possibly get. I was looking at it today for a fantasy standpoint. Um, Dave Richard wrote an article on it. Darius Slayton's like his fifth best ranked receiver on the free agent market, dude. Like Jacoby Myers is like two. Like, what are we talking about here? It is a disgustingly bad market. And so where do you find this guy? Say, okay, fine. There's no free agents. We don't want to pay the running back position. We don't have skill positions, electric players right now in the offense. We let Barkley walk. We don't sign any of the Jacoby Myers types. We just draft one. That doesn't necessarily always work out. Even if you go wide receiver at 25, Jordan Addison falls, something like that, or somebody you like, that doesn't mean they're going to be an immediate impact skill player. It doesn't mean they're going to be as impactful to Daniel Jones's development as Saquon Barkley was during the 2022 season and as impactful to winning and losing games, which quite frankly, say Barkley, uh, Saquon Barkley was for the first half of this 2022 season, really for the first three quarters of the 2022 season. Eh, probably half, because after the bye week, he was kind of bad and the Giants were losing games. Let's just say the first half. So where does that factor in for you? I think the offense, it didn't necessarily revolve around Saquon Barkley because the offense was so fluid throughout the year. There were portions, and I think you brought this up a little bit earlier, the whole entire game plan was about Saquon Barkley, specifically that first half of the season. Daniel Jones was a little bit more of a passenger, right? I don't like using that term game manager, but how many traditional pass sets did the Giants take in weeks like the yeah. two, three, Four, three was a little bit different because they they fell behind against Dallas. But week four, five, they threw against the Bears like eleven attempts. What was there? The pass attempts against the Bears was wild. That game was that was one of the funniest like box scores to look at after the game. It really was, and it was because the Bears were really playing Saquon Barkley, and that's why Daniel Jones had two touchdown runs off the play action bootleg, and the entire Giants passing attack was built off the play action. It was a lot of smoke and mirrors, but then it evolved into, hey, we're going to use more 11 personnel. We're going to transition away from 12 personnel because we have Isaiah Hodgins, and we're going to attack you with the quick passing game and also run the football effectively out of 11 personnel because, yeah, in that middle chunk of this season, you know, around the bye week, just before the bye week, and then after the bye week, the Giants weren't really running the football that effectively outside of the Houston game when Saquon Barkley had 35 carries. And it was because they used a lot of 12 personnel. But once Hodgins was acclimated to the New York Giants, they started to use 11 personnel. And you saw the EPA, the rushing EPA, go up for Saquon Barkley. So he still was a big part of the game plan. I also think if you look at those Minnesota games, again, I don't really know what the hell Ed Donatel was doing. If you go back and I, I went back, I think like a week or two ago and watched some of the Minnesota wildcard win. And I was just like, what were they doing? Like there were so many times then where they had no idea what they were doing, but a lot of the times it was a just a playoff the, game at home in a, in a playoff game at home. Daniel Jones would just check it down to Saquon Barkley and pick up a couple of yards. So I still think that was a, a big point of emphasis from Mike Kafka, because let's be honest here, giants, offensive skill positions, Nobody was nearly as talented as Saquon Barkley. And if they bring him back, he will likely be the most talented guy in 2023 as well. So to your original question, which was how much of the game plan was he in 2023? I would say if there is a player not named Daniel Jones, the biggest contributor to the game plan would have to be Saquon Barkley. I don't even think it's even close because the wide receiver position, I mean, Darius Slayton didn't have a catch until like what week three, week four. And he ended up being the number one receiver in the entirety of the year it was just a door because of all the injuries and just the instability at wide receiver. The giants had, I don't think I asked that question, right? Cause I do want to get your take on what I was trying to get at. And I just framed it poorly. So let me try to reframe this in a better way. What I was more so asking is 
How important is the idea of re-signing a talent like Saquon Barkley with the consideration that if you don't re-sign him, you may not get a good, a, an explosive skill player. Like, oh, you can get, no, this offseason gotcha. you may not get one in relation to just how Daniel Jones develops, right? Because you're assuming like he's on this track, Jones, he has a second year, the same coaching. He started to take a massive leap, his biggest leap by far in 2022. We don't want to see him go back down. We want to see him go up or the same at worst. So how important is having that guarantee of a really explosive skill player um, for that Jones development? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of utility in having that coming out of the backfield, somebody who can spring your rushing attack and be an effective weapon out of the backfield. Also, somebody who is like best buddies with Daniel Jones has a really great camaraderie with Daniel Jones. But you're right. The Giants don't get a guy at 25. Are they going to really find like a true dynamic, explosive weapon at wide receiver? I don't know. You know, they could find maybe like a Tank Dell guy type of guy, but is that a true number one? It's it's just hard. We're just say. recycling a Wandell type, right? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, as we get into the cons, we'll probably discuss the flip side of that argument, and I do feel like there is merit to that argument as well. And I don't want to vacillate between both yes and no in terms of Saquon Barkley. But absolutely, having a player like Saquon Barkley, who I'm sure most of the NFL would say is one of the more dynamic backs in the NFL helps Daniel Jones, helps the explosive playmaking ability of this offense, which, as we'll bring up a little bit later, this offense really sucked in terms of creating explosive plays dead last in the league. Right. And that then we'll get into that for sure. And, and for me, just to answer that my own question in, in, a, in a briefer and and I guess like just how I would kind of view it would be, is it are you willing to take and you can and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Are you willing to take a short term, maybe deal with a player like Barkley with the mindset of well, I don't want Jones to take a step back. So maybe if this hurts us a bit long term because we're signing a running back and it's bad business, it'll help us now because it helps Jones. It's a team, right? Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think the decision on Daniel Jones does factor into this yeah, because you yeah. don't know the running back that you're going to find. But I don't think that is the primary decision. I think that's definitely a right, secondary right. or a tertiary type of choice. And that's fair too. And I think it, even though it's a pro, it should be viewed, like you said, as a tertiary choice. Okay. How about another pro I find that I'm curious to get your take on, which would be Barkley's still an asset, right? If they resign yeah. Saquon Barkley, there's not going to be a number they resign him to that makes him unattractive, in my mind at least, because they've already kind of said, he said, I'm not going to reset the market. They've said, that's okay. We want you at this number. He has a number that's higher. It'll come to some agreement in between. But if he does sign for that number, let's say 13, 14, whatever it is. He's still an asset, and so you can still trade him if things go wrong. Say this next season goes bad. The schedule's tougher. They get injuries. Something happens, and they're not in the playoff hunt by the time the trade deadline comes around or they're starting to trend in a bad direction. We know Dave Gettleman would never do it, right? He wasn't going to trade anyone before a trade deadline. He did. Or he had the opportunity to, and he didn't. Instead, he actually traded for someone in Leonard Williams, impending free agent. One of the wildest moves I've still ever seen by a GM, just from an overall you know, 30,000-foot view standpoint. I've never seen a GM do that before. Your team's out of it. They're not in the playoff hunt, and you're a buyer at the trade deadline. That was just wild to see in action. It did happen, but I don't think Joe Shane's going to follow that route the Giants are falling apart he's going to be a seller so you can still sell him for assets the Panthers just traded Christian McCaffrey for a nice slew of picks um so what is that how much does you value that the idea that look it's still an asset so why do I want to give him up rather than sign him when all I lose is cap space if I sign him but if I if I do let him walk I'm now giving up the opportunity to potentially trade him down the line I mean yeah you would get the compensatory pick if you do let him walk which I don't know the, the the number on that, but I'm imagining it would probably be a third round pick. So you would get something 
to allow him to leave. But only if they don't make a big free agent. But only if the, exactly. Yeah. So that so just, there is a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's definitely value in thinking in that way. I don't know if you want Joshina to go into this thinking, oh, this is going to fail. So we're probably going to trade him, but you want to have that contingency plan. So a right. no trade clause was definitely be something that I, I would not advise. And I'm sure that Joshina in the front office yeah. is well aware of that. Yeah, you can see the Raiders are really regretting giving Derek Carr yeah, that no, no trade clause that that's screwing them over right now, big time. Yeah, definitely not a no trade clause. I just view it as like he still is an asset when you let when you let sets walk versus when you bring them back. Just like the Giants have pretty much done with a lot of their players they've drafted, they did not sign to second contracts or re-sign to second contracts. You're kind of losing out on some of the value of that asset in some ways. And just to clear up what we were talking about, Nick and I, because we haven't never really gone in depth about this, and I know a lot of people don't know how it works. The compensatory pick that Nick was uh, referencing, if you lose a big free agent, you can get back what they call compensatory draft pick, which actually the Giants traded for one this year with with Gary Stoney. These picks happen at the very end of the round either the third, fourth, fifth. I think they go through the fifth round, maybe the sixth. And you get one back if you lose a big free agent, but only if you don't sign another free agent from another team to a massive deal or a a comparable deal. There's some formula for it. Um, I don't know it. No one knows it inside out, but there's a formula for it. So while they could get back a pick for Saquon Barkley, a third round pick, if they let him walk, it would require them not making a splash at, say, linebacker or corner or wide receiver, any of these positions they might consider making a splash at in free agency. Now, I think if they do let Barkley walk, ultimately, Nick, they will get back that comp pick for him because I don't think they're going to be big players in free agency. That's my prediction for this free agency. I think it'll be another kind of Glowinski and then back end type because they still need to resign so many of their own and use all that cap space for Jones and for, you know, Andrew Thomas down the line and all those players, Dex McKinney, but even Julian Love maybe this offseason as well. So I don't think they're going to be big players in free agency, but that's what we mean by the comp pick formula. Let's get to another pro for Saquon Barkley. And for me, I think how relatively cheap running back contracts are to wide receiver is somewhat of a pro for resigning. For example, Nick, I'm giving you a scenario right now. You can draft a running back on day two or three, and he's now your running back, and you can add some others. You have Brightwell in the mix, and you have another one, let's say. And you could have Jacoby Myers on your team. Or you could draft a wide receiver or find your Nets Hodgins or find your Nets Richie James and have Barkley on your team. To me, I'm going with the Barkley Hodgins or the Barkley Richie James over the Jacoby Myers and rookie running back every time. And I think the Jacoby Myers route actually might cost more money. Yeah, you got to look at the wide receiver market. It's incredible right now. At their last offseason with Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. It's skyrocketed. The running back market, the most anybody makes is $16 million at Christian McCaffrey. So you can get a rookie wide receiver on that rookie deal. That's very valuable, especially if he's a first-round pick and you have control of that fifth-year option. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, and it's even not even just like the rookie guy on the rookie contract that breaks out or wide receiver, even just like the Hodgins of the world, right? You're getting pretty good production out of Hodgins for not much money, and you didn't have to use any major assets to get him. I'm not so sure like that. Like to me, the Giants are a much tougher team to defend with with Hodgins and Barkley versus like Myers. And I don't know, I'm thinking of a back guy like Roshan Johnson from Texas right now. Right. Like that's a tougher team to defend right now. I feel like with Barkley on there now that doesn't factor in Barkley's longevity, the offensive line, things that definitely impact Barkley's ability to be a good asset long term. But at least for the short term, I feel like 
as we continue to see this big trend of wide receiver contracts breaking the bank, I saw something today that the suggestion is Justin Jefferson's new contract is going to be $33 million per year. And like you said, Barkley will probably top out at $14 million per year. We're talking about almost a $20 million per year cap difference there. So as those continue to like move in that direction of the wide receivers this way and the running backs kind of stagnating or, or even in some degree going, going this way, you can start to see more value potentially for spending at running back. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the argument to it, especially when, as you said, and I know not a lot of teams have this, but so much of your offense is centralized around that player, especially right. in the first half of the season. So much yep. of it. This team is completely different without Saquon Barkley. And I don't know if they're a playoff team this year without Saquon Barkley. Right. And that's a big factor as well. So let's talk about another pro, and that is his leadership both on the field, as you've seen in some of the Giants videos, they post to their social media and to their YouTube, and then in the locker room as well. Where do you value the leadership factor when it comes to re-signing Saquon Barkley? Uh, it definitely needs to be factored in. It, it says something. It doesn't tell the whole story because there are so many variables that go into it, but it says something if Saquon Barkley does everything right, has this career year, and then you let him walk. It says something to the locker room. And I think we saw that in previous with previous regimes with players like Dalvin Tomlinson. Now, at the end of the day, it's all a business. Saquon Barkley gets, you know, a 16, 17 million dollar a year. And I think everybody understands that. But I think the Giants know that there is certainly a value in bringing this guy back who was a team captain, who players gravitate around, who has done everything correct, who has said all the right things. He wants to be a New York Giant. He has made that clear. And I do believe that there is definitely a ton of respect around the locker room for him. So yeah, yeah. bringing him back, there's a lot of utility in that. And I was kind of um, grouping those separately, but we can combine those two, which is leadership factor on the field. Because I was thinking like, if the Giants lose this leader from their team, is it going to make a big difference in the wins and losses? Just in the sense that like, he's one of their best leaders. He's one of their most important leaders, both on and off the field. Do you have someone to kind of replace him? Uh, there? He, he's a great locker room presence, but I don't necessarily think that not having him on the field, it, it's going to affect your product because he's a good football player, but it's not like the team's just going to crumble because his leadership isn't there. Yeah. But when there is adversity, you know that he is there to kind of keep things together. He acts right. as an adhesive, the glue to keep things together. Even when the, during those dog days of the Joe judge era, he was there saying all the right things. He wasn't, you know, throwing anybody under the bus or anything like that, even though he probably could have. So sure. I think that is important for sure. But at the same time, whoever is running back, whoever is the running back next year, I'm sure the team will kind of gravitate around. It's just when shit hits the fan, is that running back going to act or lead as well as Saquon Barkley? I'm not really certain that that's the case, depending on who it is, obviously. Right. And that kind of leads into the second leads right into the second thing is what do you what does it tell your locker room if you don't resign him? Same could be said about Daniel Jones, right? What does it tell your locker room if you're really not resigning these guys after they take you to the playoffs? And that's what you're telling them is we don't believe in them long term and we would rather restart here. Um, now, I tend to gravitate Nick toward these guys understand for the most part, or at least the ones that matter, not the younger guys, the older guys understand that this is a business. And business decisions happen. And, you know, they may not feel like you could ever let it possibly consider letting a guy like Saquon Barkley walk. Like, right. Like I tweeted something about Barkley a month ago and Darius Slayton like lost his mind about it. And he's just like, why would it, how could you ever consider this? Because these guys probably aren't considering the factors like age and injury history and, you know, the salary cap and things of that nature. But obviously it's a business and they understand that part of it because they've been a part of this business as well. So I tend to think that what does it tell your locker room? 
I don't think that I think if they, they could get over it fast. If let's say the offensive line made a massive jump and whoever's running behind that offensive line is productive as well, or the offense made a complete transition. Now we're a pass first offense and we're throwing for a ton of yards and the front running back doesn't matter as much. Kind of like that Vikings game where they ran only nine times with Barkley and they still had their best offensive game in the playoffs. Like those types of things. I think you get over it fast. If you're the players winning cures, everything it's that right. simple. If you yeah. win football games, it's going to cure everything. If you start losing, if you face some adversity, that's when it could rear its ugly head. Yeah, you don't build a culture by having guys run laps after practice. You build a culture <laughs> by winning football games. And you build a culture by winning meaningful football games, not the yeah. back end of that judge 2020 season when they're beating up on bad teams with like backup quarterbacks. So we've learned that through the time. But let's get into the cons now. It's time to break down the cons of resigning Saquon Barkley. And yeah, you have that reaction, Nick, because as you can see, just looking at the document, there's a much longer list of cons than pros when it comes to resigning this player, unfortunately. Um, let's start with the first con. And the first con for me would be age. We know this is the first con because it also bleeds into history, the history, the historical decision making when it comes to resigning the running back position. So we now have greater studies that show about at the age of 26, 26 and a half, Running back production almost falls completely off a cliff or no starts to fall off a cliff. Then at age 27, running back production almost completely falls off the cliff around the NFL. Some, uh, you know, some of the sports doctors have done a good job of explaining why when it comes to just the body and the injury factor of it all. So what we're doing here with the Giants is signing a player at 26 years old, just before the, the, the point of time where historically these players would completely fall off a cliff from a production standpoint at this specific position. Obviously, other positions you can play much longer into, into your lifespan, um, but running back is not one of those positions. So what the Giants are doing is signing a player at the age where he's about to fall off historically. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen to Barkley. Like I said earlier, Tiki Barber played for a lot of years. Frank Gore played for a lot of years into his older years. You're also then fighting history, too, because almost all of the running back second contracts started to become an issue around this time, 26, 27 years old. Now someone will say, well, what about Derrick Henry? Everybody looks for the one example of where it worked out with Derrick Henry. But then you turn the page and you say, wait a second, didn't Derrick Henry have a fully injured season? this past year in 2022, where he was just injured the entire time. And the offense completely collapsed without having him. I know he came back at the end, but he wasn't himself. And even if he did, he missed a lot of time with injuries. So even in the best example of it working out, it kind of didn't work out. And not only did it not work out, you look at it now and you're like, do we really want this Derrick Henry contract before the Titans right now? Like, is this even a good thing to have him back? And then you think of the most extreme example, which is Ezekiel Elliott who's now slated to account for 16.72 million against the cap for the Dallas Cowboys in 2023. And, and only 4.86 million of that would be cap savings. If they cut them, they take a 11.86 million dead cap it. And they're planning to do it anyway. They're most likely going to cut him anyway, just to save that 5 million in cap space. That's how little they value having him on the roster. They feel like they're better off with the 5 million in cap space. Now they might restructure it, but I'm hearing they might cut him. What does that say about their feelings on that contract that they signed? So let's start there, Nick. What are your thoughts on the idea of signing a running back to a second deal at age 26? The Derrick Henry one was he was injured. He broke his foot. That was last season. He played, I think, the majority of the year this year. He got year. injured this season, didn't he? I, I mean, he might have been dinged up here and there, but he played most of the year. 
But I thought he was playing through the injury when he came back, but I might be wrong. I thought he missed it. Yeah, last year he broke his foot, but it's regardless because I yeah. understand exactly what you're saying. And you can you brought up Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley signed a contract and never played on that new deal. They had to get rid of him. And he was somebody who had an extensive injury history dating back to his time at Georgia. Look, man, Saquon Barkley, I love Saquon Barkley, but you have a high ankle sprain in 2019 that you came back from and everything was good. You tore your ACL in week two of 2020. And then you had just a lot of stupid injuries in 2021. That's probably the best way to describe it. He's 26 years old. He has developed the mental aspects of running the football, the nuances. I feel like he has grown a lot in 2022, but dude, at the end of the day, that athletic ability is going to start to wane. Do you really want to give that type of contract 15, 16 million per year to the running back. I feel like it's a fair debate. And I I go back and forth at the 12 and a half, 13 type number, and I'll probably reserve my final judgment until the end of the podcast. But it's it's a young man's position, the running back. Well, I was gonna say this as far as the first point, which is the age factor and kind of bucking the trend of history, trying to become the outlier that you know can play past 26, 27 at the same level that they played at 22, 23. That for me is an argument for a fully healthy back, right? Like I even think, cause that doesn't factor in just the players who were injured at some point in their career with major injuries, like Barkley had a surgery. That's every running back. So even if they're fully healthy, I think there's a massive risk to paying somebody past the age of 26. But now we bleed into the second con, which is unrelated, but also factors in the same, which you already touched on, which is injury history. Because not only are you now paying a running back who's 26 years old, which is a risk regards, you're also paying a running back at 26 who's had an injury history. Here's Barkley's injury history. At, uh, in 2016, he had a right ankle sprain against Michigan State uh, at Penn State. He missed, I or played the week after. Then he had, um, uh, he missed two games as a freshman with an ankle injury. In 2018 was his first uh, NFL injury. He had just like a, a hamstring pull, grade one, nothing crazy. In 2019, high ankle sprain, grade two. And then, so that, so just so far, just some ankle issues, um, a little bit of uh, hamstring issues there, but mostly ankle issues. Then, and that was against the Bucks in 2019. In 2020, that's his first major injury. He suffers a torn ACL in week two against the Bears. Biggest issue with this injury for me, Nick, was he also suffered the torn MCL at the same time as the ACL. Now, there's a difference these days in ACL tears. Some people, and you could look at uh, the sports doctors who discuss this. There's clean ACL tears, like the one Wondell Robinson suffered, and he might be back for training camp, they're saying, which is crazy because he got injured in, like, what, second half of the season? And then there's the not clean ACL tears, the MCL and the ACL tears, or the meniscus ACL and and MCL. When you get the multiple tears of that knee. And Barkley's, from what I've heard, his tear had so much swelling and his injury had so much swelling that he had to actually wait a little bit of time to have yeah. that surgery. Now, some people have said that's typical for all surgeries, um, but I'm not so, you know, I don't know that if that's true or not true. So I, I'm not a doctor, obviously, but I do know that there are differences in the ACL tears. The ones that are also MCL tears are, are definitely more of an, a factor. Then in 2021, of course, he got that unlucky low ankle injury against the Cowboys. But remember, this is now the what fourth time we've heard ankle injury in his in his um in his history. And then this year, obviously, he had the neck stinger and a little bit of that shoulder injury, which he played through pretty, pretty much this whole season. So that's also the second con for me, which would be that this is not only a uh, you're not only signing a second running back at 26 to a contract, you're also signing someone who has an injury history. 
Yeah, the injury history is a big part about it. It's a gigantic factor. I think that's something that you must include because, like you said, there's a long history of a lot of running backs just falling off of a cliff at 26, 27. A lot of those running backs, they weren't as talented as Saquon Barkley, but they probably also didn't have the extensive injury history that Saquon Barkley has at this point in his career. Yeah, exactly. And that's something we should factor in as well. Let's get to the next con for signing Saquon Barkley, and that would be supply and demand. You're Joe Shane, you're the general manager, and you're looking at this thing from a 30,000 foot view and you're saying to yourself, well, this is the most loaded free agent running back class I've ever seen, maybe, or, or not ever, but I've seen in a while, right? We've got Josh Jacobs, we've got Kareem Hunt, we've got Saquon Barkley. More importantly than that, because who wants to go to free agency to sign a running back? We don't want to not sign Barkley and then give cap space to a Josh Jacob. Someone was suggesting to me, like, don't re-sign Barkley. Let's re-sign Singletary. If the Giants don't re-sign Barkley, don't you dare talk to me about free agent running backs. I don't want any of them. Unless they're coming on the Breida contract, don't talk to me. I don't want it. <laughs> want another. Who's the dude, the, bo- the Booker, which they had to take dead cap on. Remember? Booker was oh, like, man. oh, well, Gettleman got one right. He was kind of right on Booker. Then we're cutting him the next offseason and taking dead cap on that deal. So don't even talk to me about signing a running back if it's not going to be Barkley, but the supply and demand also comes in. This is a stack draft class. I've now seen two of my favorite draft analysts, Dane Brugler and Daniel Jeremiah tweet recently and within two days apart about how much they love this running back draft class. They're saying that you can find starters deep into day two. He's saying you can find starters on day three. And as I've looked at this class briefly, Nick, I love some of these day two, day three backs, my man. Like last year, we were in love with Damian Pierce. He was like a top five back, though, overall for me, I think on our final rankings. Top, I think he came in at like three. And that's like somebody who in this class, Damian Pierce, dude, he wouldn't probably not even make my top 10 in this class. It's so deep. Like I take Rashawn Johnson over him and he's back end of my top 10, if even making my top 10. There's dudes like in that there's dudes in that seven running back six to 12 range in this draft class that are going to be starters somewhere in the NFL. If they get the right opportunity, they have the talent to do it. So now you look at the supply and demand of the situation. You say to yourself, well, I can resign Barkley, but if I don't, I have a really good opportunity to find a really good back for much cheaper right away in this draft class. Yeah. And that's what we've kind of been talking about for years now on the big blue banter podcast is investing early day three, late day two picks into the running back position to find a guy who's going to be on a cheap deal for four years. And we've seen running backs slide in the draft recently. We've seen Jonathan Taylor go on day two, Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall, a lot of very talented guys who could possibly be top five backs in the next couple of years type of profiles, right? So I haven't studied this class extensively. I've heard a lot of names that interest me, and I'm excited to get into their film. But I have heard very reputable draft analysts similar to you say that this is a very deep running back class, and that must be factored in. Especially, you didn't even bring up some of the names in terms of those free agents, like the Tony Pollards of the world. Yes. Like He's going to have a market as well. There's Jamal Williams, who is a different type of runner. There's a lot of guys who are free agents this year. It's a saturated market. And I guess that would be more of a con toward the idea of re-signing him before letting him hit the market, right? Because if you look at, look at it like that and you're thinking about all these guys on the market, first of all, not only are those guys on the market, Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, et cetera, but also every NFL GM is well aware of what we just discussed with how strong this running back class is in the draft. So they already have their own plans for addressing the position after free agency. So if you let Barkley hit the market instead of re-signing him before hitting the market, he may come back to you and sign with your original terms, your 12 million. Instead of instead of finding a middle ground here and compromising with Saquon and being like, all right, we don't even want to let you hit the market. Let's just get it done. 14, 15 mil. Sure, everyone's happy. You let him hit the market. 
everyone else is adjusting to the supply factor being as high as it's ever been and the demand being so low. He comes back and he says, I'll take the 12. I'll take the 12 and a half. You know, 12 and a half is a solid number for Saquon Barkley right now, but we have to wait and see how that plays out because all it takes is one freaking team to be like, yo, sure. I'll reset the market for you. Right, exactly. Okay, let's talk about another potential con for Saquon Barkley. This is a very big one for me. And this would be, I'll, I'll group all this together, but it's a few different points. One, Saquon Barkley had a much better first half than the second half. In the second half of the year, he had just 713 yards from scrimmage over his last nine games. That's less than 80 yards per game, which would be around league average. One, two, a lot of those games, if you look at the advanced stats from like Doug Analytics, who posted them, his rushing yards over expected was above ground first, you know, first half of the year, second half of the year below ground for the majority of the year three the giants had their best offensive game by far of the year when barkley only had nine rushing attempts against the vikings in the wild card round so with all that said i think that saquon barkley is no longer or at least by the time it matters i should say nick okay so this take them about to have let me make this clear for the listeners so i don't get buried for this take and i know you'll understand nick but others others might not by the time it matters in the playoffs I'm not so sure Saquon Barkley can be the same player that he was in 2018 or in the first half of this season. Why do I say that? Well, in 2018, Saquon Barkley had nine individual runs that were at least 40 yards. He became one of three running backs to do that in the last 30 years. And he broke and he nearly broke Chris Johnson's 10 in 2009. That's when he won offense player of the year, Chris Johnson. This year, he had just one of those runs and it came in week one of this season. Yep. So is Barkley the same player? I put up a clip of his run against the Eagles in the divisional round. Now I can only hope he's dealing with an injury that he didn't report for that game. Because if you look at that run he had against the Eagles for 36 yards, that breakaway speed wasn't anywhere close to the breakaway speed he put on tape in 2018. You're looking at two different players. And then if you take it back to the Rose Bowl game, uh, Penn State against USC. The run he had against USC, that 80-yard run, was the most impressive run I've ever seen by a running back in my entire life. And similar to the Jacksonville run in his first game of his rookie season in the Giants against the Jaguars, I think it was week one or week two, that was also one of the most impressive runs I've ever seen in, in an NFL running back. Well, first was college, then it was NFL. I haven't seen a run like that since. And I didn't see a run like that in the 2020 season at all. I don't think the acceleration is the same as it used to be with Saquon Barkley. And if it's not what it was now in 2022, it's not going to get better. This is not something that gets better with age. This is something that gets worse with age. It is something that declines. And I'll say this, though, speaking for Saquon Barkley, he was still erasing angles, right, from yes. safety. Like the one run that was over 40 yards was a 60, I think, 6 or 68-yard run against Tennessee. He just absolutely erased Amani Hooker's angle towards the sideline. And we've seen that was on like 16-yard runs and 20-yard runs and 25-yard runs. But that pure breakaway speed that made Saquon Barkley Saquon Barkley, I think it's fair to, to at least question it. Now, the advanced numbers on it don't necessarily paint that same picture because right. he reached 21.9 miles per hour in 2018, this year, he reached 21.3. There's not that big of a drop-off. On that run that you were referencing, I believe it was 19.8 miles per hour. I think that was more maybe of just a, a good recovery from that safety who realized, I can't take this shallow angle because I'm screwed. Because if you remember, that safety kind of stepped towards the line of scrimmage. It was like, no, 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 screw that. And he kind of circled around and then cut the angle off to catch Saquon Barkley. I feel like that was just a good individual play from that safety. 
But like you said, man, even if the speed is still the same, how much longer is that going to last? That is a depreciating type of skill set and trait that he currently possesses. And we're questioning it now, next year, the year after, once he's two or three years into a contract, the Giants do resign him. There's no way that that speed is just going to improve. And that is just a freaking fact right there. Yeah, that's physics right there. And I think even on that run, I agree the safety took a good angle, but there was a point of that run where he does plant and try to get vertical. And that's the part that really, that's the part where I've seen him do it even with that angle the safety takes. And he's just gone because he just has that to his game. That one topped out at 19.8, which isn't great. And I felt like on that run, when he did try to really hammer that acceleration, it just wasn't the same. And I, it could have been injury, but it also could have just been wear and freaking tear. Giants played him 74% yeah. of snaps. They played him more than almost any running back in the NFL. And now you're getting to the playoffs. How could that ever work out? Like, are we ever going to see a season where Barkley is at his best for the playoff run? No. What running back is at his best for the playoff run? I don't know how that's what running back that gets, you know, almost every single snap of on the offense side of the ball is going to get better as the season wears on. That just doesn't make sense, right? Like it doesn't add up physically. They're taking hits. They're getting injuries that they don't talk about. So it's a tough sell for me that I can think he's going to get better from the athleticism department, which also brings me to my next thing that we haven't actually discussed. I didn't put in the doc, but you brought it up earlier and I wanted to talk to you about. I think earlier in his career, you brought up the, the Lions game. He was a much now again. Let me preface this by saying he's gotten a lot better at processing. He's gotten a lot better at getting vertical on runs behind the line of scrimmage that are dead to rights that he used to try to get lateral on. But in space. And I know the numbers back this up. If you look at PFF, Barkley is not the same back he used to be when it comes to creating yards after contact. I feel like he used to be a more physical, violent tackle breaker in open space than he is now. That's an eye test thing, Nick. What are your thoughts on? So I don't have, don't, and I know the yards after contact does back that up to some degree, but those can be tricky. Eye test wise, do you still think he's the same tackle breaker and yards after contact guy in space that he was in those games like you referenced, like versus the yeah. Lions? Yeah, it's pretty substantial too. If you look at PFF's numbers, yeah, like he was three point two three yards after contact, two point seven five this year. I still think there are plays, and I'm trying to kind of remember some of the plays where he's running through arm tackles. Three point two three. That was 2018, Nick. That was 2019. What was In the 2018 yards? 2018 was three point three four. So he had back to back years of really good yards after contact, and now this year it's it's a much bigger drop, almost you know a half a yard difference. Yeah, and I think Saquon Barkley in terms of is he still a physical back? I think he can be. Yes. But there aren't a lot of, and I don't have the plays in front of me, but there aren't a lot of plays that are coming to my mind where he was just, it's like, I had just embarrassed you with my physicality, which is something that we did see in 2018 and in 2019. So yeah, I think you can say there's some concern there. I still think he's capable of doing so. Maybe he was just a little bit more precise as a runner because he developed better in terms of his processing. So he didn't necessarily have to take on that contact. But yeah, I mean, the numbers back it up, like you said, and I'm trying to kind of think through my mind right now and be like, is there a play that really jumps out at me from 2022 where it was like, yeah, he just ran over a linebacker because defensive backs, yeah, whatever safeties, I'll be like, okay, that's good. But like a cornerback, it's, that's not that big of a deal to me, but a linebacker, I, I don't necessarily remember one from 2022 that really jumps out at you. Yeah. And I feel like that's been, and, and look, that's just, maybe he's made that decision personally that he doesn't want to try to get through those tackles because he wants to have a longer career in the NFL. And that's fine. If he's made that out you can do whatever you want to prolong your career, you should think about yourself first, but it doesn't help the giants. In my opinion, if you're not the same yards after contact back that you were in 2018 and 2019. 
but I'll say this, man. He's still someone who falls through contact. It's not like people hit. Yeah, him he falls through contact. I'm, I'm just yeah. talking about the break and the after contact. Gotcha. He's definitely falling through contact for sure. He's not going. He's 245. He better fall through contact, right? Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the next con, I think. And this is a, a massive one. And it's salary cap allocation. It's the idea of allocating 13, 14, $15 million a year of your cap space to this position of running back. When we've seen now, everybody puts this this graphic out every Super Bowl, but now it's like 15 or 16 straight years where a Super Bowl winner has allocated like 1.2 million to the leading rusher. Nothing, essentially. I mean, you go back, there's like James Starks, names like James Starks on the list. I mean, that's how old the Super Bowl we're talking <laughs> about, Starks. right? Like James Starks has been in the NFL in a long time, right? Yeah. And so now you're allocating, you have a salary cap every year. You don't have unlimited money in the NFL. This isn't the MLB. This isn't the NBA. There's no soft cap. There's no luxury cap. This is a hard salary cap league. Now, it can be manipulated, obviously. It's a fluid number that you can dip into future years to make your current year number bigger or smaller. All those things are true. But the idea of being the team that kind of bucks this trend, wins a Super Bowl, you know, wins a championship, competes for championships while paying the running back a lot of money, once again, it puts you in this bucket that we've already discussed in, in plenty of these cons of you now have to be the outlier, right? You have to be the team that bucks the trend rather than the team that, you know, falls in line with what's working. Sure. Dan, I think you can, but is it the most prudent thing to do? I don't, I'm not really sure, especially when you're paying your quarterback $35 million. Like the giants aren't going to have that luxury and it sucks, but if they do resign Daniel Jones, you're not going to have that luxury, Dan, of having a rookie on rookie contract it's that right. simple man that is such a huge part of team construction now you're allocating 30 35 million or whatever it is to the quarterback position and you're going to give like 16 or 15 to the running back position it makes things very difficult especially and i know i've said this so many times that i feel like I, I should just shut up but you're going to more than likely reset the market with andrew thomas and dexter lawrence so who the hell else are you going to pay if you just have those four on your roster over the next couple seasons and then xavier mckinney and if you draft everyone, anyone good and you're going to have to resign them in the future you get the benefit of the rookie deal but it sucks that daniel jones rookie contract was absolutely wasted with incompetent football but now if you are going to resign him you really got to be judicious with how you allocate your funds and giving a running back 15 million a year is not necessarily the most prudent thing to do yeah and so we'll wrap up there and we'll get to our final conclusions but one final thing i want to say you know to the argument that people have made which is the giants we're nothing without Saquon Barkley this year. How could you possibly give away the one player who made the entire offense? Well, I would say to you, is this what you really want, right? Like, is this what we really want? Do we want the Giants offense to be what it was this year? No, of course not. That Giants offense was bad for most of the season. They were dead last in explosive plays, and they didn't score many points until the very end of the year. You want the offense to be one of the ones you just saw in the Super Bowl. Pass first, you know, explosive. One of the ones you've seen in the past two years, the final four teams in the conference championship rounds. Those are explosive pass first offense. So don't think too much about what they were this year and losing out on that. Think about how to achieve what the optimal goal is, a pass first offense. So I'll just close it with that. So now final conclusion, Nick, you got to make an answer. What would you want to do with the Saquon Barkley situation? Would you want to resign him? Would you want to let him go? And if you choose to resign him, what is the price point you want to resign him at? But first, let me preface this, Dan. I don't think I'm going to be drastically upset any direction the Giants go in. If they decide to resign him, I can understand that. If they decide to let him go, I can completely understand that. I think a 12.5, 13, I think I'm okay with that. Optimally, though, I I, I think he's going we want to want your optimal decision, Nick. No one wants to know what yes. you're okay with. No, yes. I'm kidding. I, I think understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to I think he might have a 20. 
he might have a good 2023 season, right? 2024, he might be okay, but it's going to be a depreciating asset. So if they do decide to re-sign him, I want it to be a short-term deal at around that 12.513 number. And that's where I think Joe Shane is at. So if we're saying it's at 12.5 million, Dan. Or you I, can I, pick I, the number. How about that? Just what would yeah. you want? Yeah. And I would want it to be lower more so. But if it is at 12.5 million, I think I'm, I'm okay with it happening. But if I had to decide right now, I think I'm going to say no. Okay, so you wouldn't want to resign. That's probably the lowest it'll go anyway. So you would decide not to resign Saquon Barkley. Yeah, unless it was like I'm okay with the franchise tag. I just know he's not going to be. He's going to sure. want some some a little bit of longevity. Like I like I said throughout the podcast, I like Saquon Barkley. It's difficult for me to say no, but if you're putting me on the spot, I, I think with the deep running back class, with the benefits of the rookie contract for those running backs, with Daniel Jones getting paid thirty plus million, with the fact that he has an injury history, all those cons that we went through, I think are very valid. Even though some of those pros are as well, so I would lean no. Yeah. And I think that's totally fair. My final take on this will be best case scenario for, for me would be Joe Shane works absolute magic and is able to franchise tag and trade Saquon Barkley for assets. Even if that's just a fourth round pick or a third round pick, that to me is the best case scenario. The second best case scenario for me will be that Joe Shane convinces Saquon Barkley to play a season on the franchise tag and the Giants can get Barkley for this next season on the franchise tag and then revisit this next year where we're at. In which case I will lead to my third best scenario because I don't think scenarios one or two are actually in play. But if somehow magically he does the tag and trade, I'll be super pumped. But because I don't think scenarios one or two are in play, the third scenario for me is I would not resign Barkley for any price. So for me, this has nothing to do with Saquon Barkley. For me, this has to do with insert any running back here. There is no running back in the NFL. I would sign to a second contract. My strategy for this is very simple. It's blunt and it's, I believe it's tried and true. You just recycle these rookie deals. You can take more than you than you, at once if you want to, but you keep making sure that you're only allocating as minimally as possible to this position because this position doesn't age well. This position gets injured a lot and this position is reliant on the offensive line. Now, with that money I'm saving by never giving a running back a second contract, I'm upgrading my offensive line. The only scenario where I would consider re-signing a running back to a second contract is a scenario that's not possible for the Giants and that's if you have a quarterback on a rookie contract. The Giants do not have a quarterback on a rookie contract. They have a quarterback who's about to make a lot of money against the cap. So they're under no scenario would I be interested really in resigning any running back to a second contract while paying a quarterback because I believe that will impact your ability to improve your offensive line. And without your offensive line, to me, your running back is worth next to nothing, especially as you move long term and he ages out and he gets more injuries and he gets older. So unfortunately for me, I do not want the Giants to resign Saquon Barkley. I think the Giants will resign Saquon Barkley. So I've resigned myself to that fact. But if it were up to me and I was playing the role of general manager, I would make a decision that would piss off the locker room. It would piss off the teammates, players like Slayton, who can't even com comprehend the idea of not resigning a player like this. And I'd see if I can make it work moving forward as a GM with my players and with the core we have being Daniel Jones and then whatever else you have, you know, the Thomas, the Andrew Thomas, the Dexter Lawrence, without Saquon Barkley or insert any running back here for me. Yeah, I think that's a fair take too, Dan. And it's tough, man. It's a business it's though. It, it's a business. And I think the major point about it, and there are a lot of cons there. But the major point is the fact that that quarterback isn't on the rookie deal anymore, right? Yes. The quarterback was on the rookie deal. Can, I am much more open to entertaining. And I'm still open to entertaining it. But if I had to be decisive, yeah, I'm on the no side as well. 
Okay, that's what we have. The definitive case for and against Saquon Barkley, resigning him. We will likely be doing one of these, though. It may not come for maybe, well, Nick is going away uh, tomorrow, so it's definitely not coming until next week at the earliest. But I think we're both going to want to kind of uh, break this one down with a lot more film and a lot more kind of research before we do it. But we're going to do this one for Daniel Jones as well. So that'll be an interesting one. We're going to try to at least. So keep be on the lookout for that. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place the elites in charge say everything's fine stop noticing but you know better and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos my patriot supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company americans trust to prepare go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.